conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to a bonus episode of Welcome to Geekdom. It has been quite some time since I have done one of these, mostly because I don't enjoy just talking by myself. So today I am joined by John O'Diener, and we are talking about The Inevitables, which is a Kickstarter project that has been successfully funded. But John O, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Good, good. I just checked out your Kickstarter and you're approaching $30,000 at the time of this recording. So that is awesome. Congrats on that. Thank you. It is, it's been the weirdest wild ride because we've been working on this so long and then all of this work was like, and now we go. And then just watching the reaction has been bonkers. Like I've never been a part of any Kickstarter in the, well, sorry, I take that back. I've been a part of a Kickstarter like a month prior to this. Um, but by no means was I like a large contributor or like person running it. So yeah, it's been super cool being on this side of it for once. Yeah. So for the listeners who haven't checked out the Kickstarter or heard of what the inevitables is, can you just quickly run down that for us? Sure. Yeah. So The best way to describe it is The Inevitables is an art and music project. Um, It is a super group of ska musicians. So it's members and former members of Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, Big D and the Kids Table, The Basis of Jeff Rosenstock, uh, The Interrupters and Westbound Train and Nightmares for a Week. So uh, lots of people on the music side. And then on the comic side, uh, we wanted to make sure that this is a whole world. So it's kind of like a transcendent thing rather than just a band or an album or a comic. Uh, but on the comic and visual side, uh, it is a 22 page comic written by me with art by Liana Kangas, uh, letters by Cardinal Ray layouts by Fabian Lele. And then we have Devin Watson, who is just unstoppable he did the character designs and the cover for the comic and the album and his his stuff essentially just carried this whole thing thus far it's amazing so right now uh liana's actually doing the inking for the pages and stuff uh fabian had the layouts already ready to go and it's it's just been the coolest thing uh someone described it as ska gorillas like it's the gorillas of ska <laughs> and I, I feel like that's a really cool way of looking at it uh, it's bizarre being a musician who wasn't involved on the music side of it, but it's cool that Vinny, so Vinny Fiorello and Obi Fernandez are the two people that kind of launched the whole project. Uh, and they asked me to be a part of it, but it's, it's very cool. Like being included in the trio of people kind of, you know, growing this thing from the ground up. So it, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah, and I feel like this definitely has sort of that 90s ska punk vibe where you kind of have the artwork that looks like these old punk flyers that you would see for shows, and you have a bunch of characters who aren't necessarily people who just sort of look like everyday people. They definitely look like they're from a specific crowd when you go and you look at the character designs, which has been really fun because I feel like the characters that you guys have created are pretty unique. And you have a few who are kind of down on their luck looking and you really just have this good mix of 
different types of people in the story. Yeah, the main thing I wanted to do was I I recently watched it was the Umbrella Academy season one, The Boys, and okay. uh, Doom Patrol like all in a row. So you know I, I'm used to these like ensemble like anti-hero cruise so i was like okay i don't want it to feel like this and i want it to be more ground level which i felt was like a really important thing um so there's nothing at least yet that's super uh extraordinary when it comes to like the paranormal or like powers or anything like that um but what stood out for me was Vinny wanted florida to essentially be like a character in this so mm-hmm. you have the dynamic of like the strange swampy side of things, the neighborhoods surrounding that, the bodegas, and then you cross the bridge in Fort Lauderdale and it's this super nice, well-off, almost creepily wealthy area. And you have this bridge as a literal divider between the two. So I wanted, especially like living in a Flint, Michigan suburb and I worked downtown for years. Like I, I have seen the literal lines of gentrification happening in real life. Like I've watched a a millionaire guy that like owns half the town walk in with a homeless guy. So, and I gave them both coffee, you know? Uh, So I I think about that kind of stuff a lot. And when Vinny brought up those topics, uh, that's what kind of made my brain go like, you know, pretty much I went turbo mode on it and I just went for a walk and I just kept thinking about everything. And all I could think about was what is the least likely group of people? So uh, we have an old Cuban Cuban man in a wheelchair. We have uh, a non-binary graffiti artist who's native American. We have a Christian middle-aged couple. We have a drug dealing dude who wears a a skull mask. And then Joe Swan is just like a punker who's kind of like stuck in the middle. And all three of us, like Vinny, Obi and I, you know, we were all coming up with ideas, but it was cool. Like, getting to fully flesh out these characters and having there's certain names of them too, that are like people from my past. And that that's my favorite thing to do is name any character in a story based on someone from my past, whether it was like a teacher I had kids I went to school with or like neighbors and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of like super weird deep cut things in that uh, aspect. But as far as just the, the ensemble and the group, um, it, it feels like its own unique thing because when you see them all together, you're not like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You kind of get the sense of what the hell are they going to do? And that's kind of where it all falls into place. Yeah. And on the Kickstarter, it shows that if you back for 10 bucks, you get a digital copy 20, you'll get a physical copy and you've hit some stretch goals to where you've been able to offer alternate covers and backers get to choose which one they want for the physical copy. When you were thinking of different tiers for this, did you know that you wanted to definitely have a lower tier where you could just get digital and then do something exciting with physical should you get enough money to do that right away? Or was that something that sort of just happened as you realized a lot of people were starting to back the project? Off the bat, we wanted to have a wide range of things. Uh, Vinny, Obi, and I have been, you know, we've seen other kickstarters i've funded them in the past and we we wanted to make it to where people felt comfortable enough if they want to put five dollars in they can but if they want to put five thousand dollars in they're like let's say like an old school less than jake super fan slash punk rock collector you know there, there are all these different layers between those um and we're more than happy to like 
help everyone out if we can. So mm-hmm. the one thing that we're trying to encourage people to is like, it's the same as going to a comic shop and buying a comic or buying a record at a record store, you know, like just because it's on Kickstarter, you know, it's, it, it is confusing to some people, but it's the same as pre-ordering something, you know, right now you can't just walk into any place. Like there's, I mean, it's COVID times. That's the best way to put it. Like yeah. the, the world is totally different. And then now more than ever, you know, we're trying to embrace this kind of thing with Kickstarter and just e-commerce and digital sales and then kind of infuse that with the DIY ethic, which is what Kickstarter is. You know, we're, we're putting this stuff together for people who may not be able to do this kind of stuff on their own and show them like, hey, it's possible. And if you have enough of a following and enough people that like a cool idea you have, you know, anything's possible. And obviously between the comic creators and the musicians, there's a wide range of audience because it's not just going to be music people. You're also getting comic book people involved. And I know you live in both worlds, but it's something that I feel like goes together really well. And you mentioned comic book shops and people doing a bunch of stuff on Kickstarter now. I've personally been backing stuff on Kickstarter more lately. I've been buying comics or sort of comic book journalism zine type things off of Gumroad. And there are a lot more options open to creators now because one thing we've seen with the comic book industry is how hard it is to get distribution if you weren't signed up with a company like Diamond and you have these mega publishers, DC especially, they just cut ties with Diamond during COVID. And you're really seeing this sort of change in the landscape of things for the comic book industry. And it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I think for a creator like yourself, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, what have you, even if you did it, put it up on Gumroad for pre-order, something like that is so crucial to smaller creators. Yeah. And now there's an unfortunate uh, evening of the playing field. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it because yeah. right now you don't exactly have a choice. Like even DC, I don't know if you saw the news today and I know this is going to air later, but they brought in, it was like an esports publisher or something like that. And essentially like through Warner or whatever it was, they like wiped out a lot of the editorial staff. Yeah. So even at the big two, which to a lot of people are the safe havens, those places are kind of cleaning house too, you know, like everything is going to be different and it's not just, a comic industry thing. It's a literal whole world thing. Uh, I just recently recorded with the band No Trigger and we had this big conversation about how we approach things or whatever. And one of the guys said, punk rock trained us for this. And that's all I've been thinking about nonstop. Like I am used to just trying to like sell whatever I'm doing to everyone at all times. So when I was in high school, I was passing out flyers, getting people to go to shows. Once they go to the show, we play our songs and then I try and sell them a CD after, you know, that's how it started for me. And then social media became a thing. And then I was like, Hey, I'm hustling on here. Like, check this out. I'm always working on stuff. So now like I've, I've been doing that for the longest time because I had to, you know, like I've been fortunate to have teams behind me in the past, but without having learned to do that stuff myself, I wouldn't have this experience and I wouldn't be uh, ready to navigate this kind of stuff. So you look at comics, like indie comics, all that kind of stuff. Publishers are scrambling, like what their schedules are going to be. You know, I've reached out to people talking about like 
I'm sent, I want to send a pitch or whatever. And some people are like, hell yeah, man, send it over. And other people are like, we're trying to figure out our schedule for the next year. Like everything is totally upside down. So, you know, there's varying degrees of, uh, I guess disaster in the industry, but Mm -hmm. when it all comes down to like, I am in a group with like punk rock people, like putting something out. And as long as we have a schedule, like this is the kind of thing that can create a sense of normalcy for us as creators. We have the ability to like, me sit down and write the stuff while Vinny's just hitting up people, him and Obi are like doing all of this maintenance stuff for all of the others moving parts of this project. And then, you know, talking to Liana and Fabian every day, like we, we all have this cool machine that we've built. And by being a part of that, it makes us feel like, Oh, the world's not burning for a second. And when we release this thing, then people can read it and you know, for however long they listen to the album and however long they read the, uh, the comic, you know, they get to turn their brain off for a second and be a part of something else. And that's kind of what, for me, you know, escapism during this thing has kind of saved my ass and sanity. So on the comic book side of things and the music side of things, is The Inevitables going to be something that's an ongoing project or is this sort of a one-off because of how much effort went into getting all of these people involved? Have you guys decided anything on that front yet? Like Vinny, Obi, and I have talked about expanding the world and we would obviously love for this to be an ongoing series and having more music come out eventually and you know pitching this to like bigger things that are outside of the realm that we're currently in. But you know, right now it's let's focus on the task at hand. Let's make sure we get funded and by getting funded, let's make sure we deliver all the, the goal, the goods, you know? So fingers crossed, it continues to expand and, you know, we get interest from whoever may be interested and then, you know, they allow us to keep creating a world. So it doesn't necessarily have to always be a kickstarted thing. We're more than happy to work with other people to make this a bigger project. That's awesome to hear. And You gave me a little behind-the-scenes look at the script, so you guys are definitely already working on this. Obviously, there's already music out with Fort Lauderdale as one of the songs that you can listen to on the Kickstarter page already. So it's not like you guys waited to see if this was going to get funded to start on it, right? Oh, yeah. Like So to put it in full perspective, I was at my brother's house with our family on Christmas, And at like 9 p.m., I got a text from Vinny and it was like, and again, I haven't talked to him in a while before that other than just, you know, friendly, like online stuff here and there. And he just was like, hey, man, I want to talk to you about something. Hit me up when you get a chance. I was like, what? Like, does he want me to drum for something? And then, you know, uh, I was able to call him a few days later and we had this big talk and that's when he pitched the whole concept. And already at that time, him, Obi, and then Alex Stern from Big D and the Kids Table they were already writing songs and demoing stuff. So their whole plan was like, who cares? We're going to just do whatever we can while we can. And this is like pre COVID stuff. This is just because they wanted to. Um, So they even like got to meet up in Florida and at least get the ideas flowing and all that. And then I think we got enough of the gears moving before things hit. So that way it was kind of like, all right, we already pushed the bike with training wheels and then we let go and took the training wheels off like right before COVID hit. So everything was already in motion. So as far as like the comic and everything, like I had the script written a while back. I honestly don't remember the uh, the date for it. 
And then the rest was just building the team from there. So we the plan was we would assume that we would be funded by having a realistic funding okay. goal because you know there are some single issue comics and like I'll see them for like five to seven thousand dollars that'll be their goal which is realistic you know but if you're doing a comic and an album and all this other stuff like as Vinny mentioned once like someone told him that he's the Willy Wonka of punk rock (laughs) so there's always like toys and collectibles and all this like wild stuff just going on in his brain for any single project like he just released a book he has all this stuff going on so we we got to have this big talk and be like okay let's just assume we're fine and let's go with it and see what happens. And, you know, it's it's turning out better than expected. So that's awesome. And we still have, at least at this point, I think it's like 20 days or so left. You guys definitely hit the goal pretty quickly. And when you have, like you mentioned, a comic that physically needs to be printed and bound, and then you have vinyl that you're pressing, and you have all of these other things, depending on what tier people support at, you get a sense pretty quickly of how much it will realistically cost because like you said 5 to 7000 just for a comic you figure probably close to that at least for vinyl as well depending on how big of a run you're doing of the records and it adds up very very quickly that's for sure when it comes to creating physical products so that's why i like that you also offered the digital tier because then it's like people who maybe don't want to have more stuff around or don't want to be getting a ton of mail right now, which I know some people have been trying to limit how much stuff they have coming in the mail just because of COVID. And there are so many different factors going into why someone's going to choose a tier. And I feel like you guys have so many different options that it's pretty exciting to see as a fan. And I'm not particularly big on ska music. So I was like, I'm doing this for the comic. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I like about it. We were giving everyone an option because I'm seeing a lot of people that like several comments have been like, hey, I'm not a fan of comics, but this album sounds awesome and vice versa. So the people that we're hitting, you know, we have the option of converting them from one to the other. We also have the luxury of, you know, there, there's this intertwined punk rock and uh, comic, like it just nerd them in general, you know? Uh, and I've always kind of been a part of it, but I didn't consider that just because I was just a nerd in general. <laughs> but like, I was on my friend Aubrey Sitterson's podcast a while back, and this is like, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, and it was a wrestling podcast. And I remember I got on there and he's like, hey, man, are you a comics guy? And I'm like, I mean, I like them, but not like he goes, that sucks, man. Anyway, and I was like, that's weird. (laughs) And I didn't realize that like Jason Aaron was the other dude on the podcast. And that's why he was asking me that. And that was kind of like my catalyst to like, light a fire under my ass and start, you know, looking more into things. So once I started doing that, I was like, oh, all of this stuff intertwines, like pro wrestling, comedy, like punk rock, like comic. It's just like this subculture of nerddom, I guess, you know, like it's it's just like an alternative lifestyle that is now kind of a mainstream thing, you know, because when like I was, I think, nine years old when I heard my first ska band, and my cousin showed us on like their boat and we like were laughing because there was horns. He's like, no, dude, it's cool. Then my other cousin gave me a punk rock mix and had less than Jake on it. And like 
the weirdest, most full circle thing is I went from like collecting spawn action figures and like watching Batman, the animated <laughs> series and all this stuff to getting a punk rock mix and getting a drum kit and then getting into music for the longest time and then coming back to both so hard. And not only that, but like being involved in a project for making comics with the guy on the first punk rock mix I ever had. Like it is wild. So, you know, once in a while I have to like take a step back and go, this is pretty damn cool. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean because I went to school for music industry, which I know a lot of people talk about not going to college for things like music production, but I did the business end of things. So I feel like it was a bit of a different experience from that perspective. And I tried to do the music thing when I finished college. I got a job. It was data entry for some royalty company. And then I got asked to start a podcast for Modern Vinyl. And I've stayed in the music world somehow, but I'm not exactly doing music things. So it's just funny how things work out sometimes. And you mentioned how small these circles can seem because, you know, I edit for Rob Pasbani at Metal Injection for his wrestling podcast, but it's posted by or posted on the Metal Injection site. So it's kind of funny how those things happen. And even just getting to talk to you and I had known who you were because of when you were in the Swellers and I'm pretty sure you actually came to my apartment in college, but you didn't know I lived there and I didn't know who you were at the time, but I lived with Zach Zarillo and I swore you guys like parked your van out front or something. And I must've either not been at the apartment or just walked by because I was leaving or something. I have no idea, but it's like you have these interactions or non-interactions in my case, and you just come so close to these people that you don't realize you're going to end up knowing in a different capacity later on. And I I feel like there's this, I I have a strange line I walk around to where I was also like a super industry nerd Mm -hmm. and like a music writer as well. So like, you know, before Zach became like a megastar and I never got to talk to him (laughs) again, like you know, at the time I remember like we would text all day and like we were just nerds about stuff. And like, uh, I I've always loved the business and the creative side of that outside of just the music part. Um, so, you know, whenever we would stay with people or like even just through Twitter or live journal or MySpace, or whatever the hell it was at the time, you know, that that's what was exciting for me. Cause I, I would, get to talk to people. And instead of just being like, Oh, I did an interview with someone the end, I would like keep in touch with them. And then it wasn't just for, Hey, can you write about me later on? It was like, Hey, I also write about people too. Like, it's cool that we have this thing in common as friends. So it's been very interesting. Cause I I remember specifically that day. I don't know if you were like, I don't know if you were leaving or something. I remember he went to go talk to someone that I knew about and then all I remember was his roommates made like like some witch's brew thing. And then my brother and I were just like sitting there on our laptops while everyone else was getting drunk. <laughs> and it's like 
Like these are the glamorous tour memories I have. And then you grow up and go, oh yeah, we're friends. That's cool. Zach might've taken you to someone else's apartment because we didn't have any other roommates. So you might've ended up being okay. with like Emily Hakes and Ian Farmer and some of the modern baseball guys or something along those lines or Eric from Lamo Records. I don't know, but it was a pretty small circle there at the time. And Zach kind of just knew everyone in that scene. So we had a band stay at the apartment once and it's annoying me so much that I've been trying to think about this for like the last two or three days and I can't even think of the band name but there were like six people in our apartment and I just literally skipped my morning class because I was like I can't even get into the bathroom so it kind of is a blur at times I'm just like Zach knew so many bands who knows (laughs) yeah well that was like my past is so bizarre because you know, I'd be gone for a month at a time and I'd stay at, we never got hotels. So we were always staying yeah. at people's houses. So we had like our few core places. And then there was times where it's like, Hey, uh, the next show is 10 hours away and we have nowhere to stay. Like, what do we do? And then last second, someone's like, Oh yeah, I'll help you out. And like some of those moments were where I met like some of my best friends. Uh, but then there are a lot of those moments where I completely don't remember the name of the people we stayed with. And years later, they'd be like, yeah, you stayed in my house. <laughs> and I fe- I always feel so bad because I'm like, I, I, first of all, I don't remember where I park my car. Like when I go to the grocery store every time and I like wander around and have to keep clicking the thing. So it's like staying at people's houses was another one of those where it's like, that's, that's part of that weird, I guess like DIY punky story that I have where it's like, I, I've had the luxury and privilege of getting to meet so many people I just unfortunately suck at remembering most of them. (laughs) Yeah, my memory is absolutely horrible. And it's not really for any particular reason. It's just I kind of move on to the next thing and worry about what's going on now versus what happened, you know, God, that must have been like 2013, maybe that you were there. That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah, it it was a while ago because I was like, I finished early. So I left December of 2014. That's when I left Philly and moved back to California. And I try to remember things. And I'm just like, I know the general idea of what happened. But don't ask me specifics, because I won't have any of them for you. Yeah, mine's like, you know, the the person in the black band t shirt with tattoos, also black frame glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Throwing a beard for good measure. Like, that's, you know, so many interactions I've had. And like, and that's not to discount any of them, but it's like when I was in that whirlwind, you know, all I did was travel and like my brain has like, they always talk about like you have your own tribe and you are only like supposed to know, I forgot the number. It was like 80 to a hundred people or something like that may may even be 40. Um, Luckily there's no fact checker, so we'll never have to find (laughs) out. But like even just on like Facebook and stuff, like I have, several thousand people on there and i only accept people that i know unlike a lot of people who like hit the five thousand limit or whatever so i'm like shit i've met these people before like that's already a lot um so the cool thing is like there's all of this bizarre crossover with comics like we talked about before so uh you know not only getting to do them as a writer but like my friend trace dean who he's like a rad comic writer. He did some cool stuff. He wrote a book about the rock and the rock would post about it all the nice. time. So he was like one of the first like 
comic people in my world that I knew. But also he was like, do you remember uh, when you guys played Richmond, Virginia, and someone brought you a case of water, but parked across this massive parking lot. So you walked with us and I'm like, oh my God, was that you? And he's like, oh yeah. And like, you know, seeing people that like, were just not like timid or whatever, but it was just like, oh, you were like a, a cool person that we like hung out with that day. And then now it's like, they're like a power, you know, like, like he himself has a fan base. And it's like, that's the most rewarding thing for me where it's you I know I keep relationships for a reason. And then later down the road, you're like, oh, yeah, you made something of yourself. And you didn't have some weird, like, trap door to fall through. Like, you're a self made person because you just worked your ass off, you know? So, all of that, like, and I may have mentioned this last time I was on, but like, there's weird connections too, where like Matt Rosenberg put out the first, like, Polar Bear, rec- Polar Bear Club record. And like, we used to tour with them all the time while they were on his record label, but I never met Matt. So when we finally got to meet, we would talk about that stuff. And then fast forward to him, like writing Hawkeye and X-Men and all this wild stuff. And like, that's, that's a punk rock kid success story, you know? So that's, I think my favorite part about it, there's the crossover, but there's like a payoff to the crossover. And you have this awesome community and camaraderie. Once you find like your proper niche of people. So like, I I'm still finding mine, but like, it's nice being like, oh, it's not the guy who used to be in the Swellers. It's like, oh, yeah, he's a comic writer. He used to be in some band that people cared about in like 2009, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a totally different world. I feel like now the whole DIY attitude is becoming more and more, like you said, kind of mainstream, more accepted as a way to do things. There are, of course, still going to be certain jobs where they want you to do the normal thing, go to college, get a degree. They don't really care what your degree is in. But when it comes to the creative side of things, I feel like there's a lot more leeway now with certain projects that you can do. You can just go out and start doing things so easily now. And with Google and YouTube, you can pretty much learn how to do anything you want. And I've been taking some time during COVID to start a YouTube channel, figure out how to use Adobe Premiere. And it's not that I necessarily have more time to do this. In fact, I actually ended up with more podcast work during this time, thankfully. It's just one of those things where I feel like at this point, just doing podcasts might not be enough. So I want to have these other skills. And you can literally just Google what you need to know. I was like, I don't know how to take the green screen off of this green screen thing that I downloaded. So I was like, Google, here we come and figured it out. And I might have to Google it a few more times before it finally sticks in my brain. But I feel like there's so much more opportunity now. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your Kickstarter won't get funded. You just have to know how to put yourself out there It helps if you know the right people, of course. You know, you've built up contacts in the comic book industry, whether by chance or by hard work. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of both. Yeah. And also to touch on the YouTube thing, like at the beginning of COVID, I had like a newsletter, a YouTube channel, a podcast. Like (laughs) I was like doing all the things, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And then I also found the luxury of backing off things that like weren't immediately gratifying and I like the, I'm sure you've dealt with it too where you'll have a passion project and then you just go 
you know, this is more of a chore than like a thing that's really rewarding for me. I just like, instead of like, I have to do this, it's like, I can do this and I get to do this. Like, that's the feeling I want to have. So, you know, I started doing these drum videos on Instagram and that was like the most, I hate using the word, but traction I've had in the longest time. And I was like, oh, I've, I have a thing. Like, that's why people care because I'm the drummer guy. So they finally get to see me drum. And it's like, now it's good quality because I invested in recording equipment. But what I've been trying to do is like utilize my time wisely so I could finally be like, I'm going to invest in things that help me be creative. So I also got the Adobe Creative Cloud. And the other day I was actually taking like a Premiere Pro uh, tutorial just to like learn simple stuff because I've been using iMovie for the longest time. And I'm like, like I, I get these insane rushes of like creative stimulation where I'm like, I think I'm going to just get a really nice DSLR and go outside and film a bunch of cool stuff and super cut it together on this video software that I also paid for and then like release that. And and then like, I, I always have these like grand ideas, but I'll have like a million of them in a week. <laughs> and then I have to go, I can't do all of these. This is too much. And my brain is literally like, it's a metaphorical nosebleed, you know, like there's just too much stuff going on. So like kind of getting back to the question or whatever, like I have, and I was also transitioning out of a job while all of this stuff is going on. So it's hard to get lost in like, okay, well, I need to make money and live, but I also like want to be creative and like be, you know, like feel like I live in Neverland and just like wander around and be like a nomad or whatever. So uh, when the Inevitables was getting ready to go, you know, I was, I already did my part, like the writing part, but then the promotion thing is a totally different animal. So, you know, I, I jumped headfirst into that. I'm like, okay, this is one of my responsibilities. This is one of the things I do. And uh, along the way it was like, okay, well we're doing the concentric circles podcast and like, we've only done a few of them, but like, it's one of those cool, like, this is part of my schedule. This is a thing I do and it's putting out content in the world. So when it comes to writing, like I, I try and take the Jeff Lemire approach, which is like probably my favorite comic writer, at least right now, he just has so many projects ready to go and constantly working, like being worked mm -hmm. on. So the writers have the luxury of you could you can write a script in a whole day, like a 22 page script. If you're an artist, you can't do that. You take 22 days usually to do 22 pages worth of comic art. So there essentially should be nothing holding you back from writing other than the expectation of what you get. So I started tweaking that over time and being like, well, I already finished the inevitables. I have that. I had uh, like a mini series that I've been pitching. So I'm like, I'm going to hold off completely finishing that because I want to see if it gets picked up in the meantime, or if I want to kickstart that later, if it doesn't get picked up, then I could finish right. You know, like, so I have this like ever evolving to do list of priorities in my brain. And right now, uh, like in addition to like working on just some cool, loose concepts, I'm like, I need to make money, but I also need to stay creative, but I also need to just know when to like, check the hell out and play video games. So that's been my thing recently where it's like, I try to have like a tune out time where like, it'll be like eight or 9 PM. And then I'm like, I am done the end, no more stuff. So by doing that, that's what actually helps me write better and come up with more things because I allow myself to recharge and not think, and then 
ideas kind of just come to me then. Yeah, it's always amazing to me how many projects creators have going on at once, because as you know, I have a couple of my own podcasts, which I didn't intend for my work and my hobby to end up being the same thing, but I still feel like my podcasts at their core are hobbies. And yes, hosting a Stephen King podcast is a lot of work, but I'm still enjoying it. I would say 95% of the time, sometimes you hit a book that's just a slog and you're like, oh God, what did I get myself into? Or like right now I have the Dead Zone TV series to watch and I'm Almost 30 episodes in, but I still have 50 more to go if I do end up wanting to watch the whole thing for the episode. And it's one of those things where you have to pick and choose your battles. When I was doing a music podcast, Misaligned, I found myself listening to less and less music. So I didn't feel like I could keep that podcast going. And I didn't want to force it just to keep it going. So I had to talk with my co-host at the time, Megan Moore, and we worked it out and we figured out how we were going to end it. And, you know, she was getting a little busier because she was looking for a job. She ended up getting a job in a newsroom. So it's one of those things where that instance, it worked out that both her and I probably would not have ended up having time to make it the podcast we wanted it to be. Yeah. And a lot of people do things that are seemingly chores, you know, and then you just like your output isn't as great. Like if if you don't absolutely love something you're doing, like and, and I don't mean that in the like you could do anything you want. Everything's fine. <laughs> like, you know, it's a world pandemic. We have to work to be able to live. And like even outside of that, that's a realistic thing. You know, like you can't break into like I'm going to just do podcasts. I also quit my job so I could do my podcast. Well, no, you could work a job and then after your job, do the podcast, you know? And like, that's the reality that like a lot of people have to live in now and should have been living in in the first place to have that backup plan. But like, you know, if you don't have a plan for how to like delicately ease out of things or be able to like, I guess, divorce yourself from these ideas, you know, you get trapped in them and then they feel like just these awful things holding you back and then you think about why you started in the first place and you go oh i did it because i really love this thing and now i don't really love this thing like you know to get semi-personal like uh my band baggage was one of those things for me where i was like going full steam ahead let's Mm -hmm. do this and then it was just constant member changes and like weird behind the scenes drama and i'm like dude i started a band to have fun like this sucks And, you know, people were like just awful communication issues and just everything was weird. Also, I have like massive anxiety and paranoia issues. So that didn't help those situations. So it got to the point where like right now I'm like, I can't play shows anymore anyway. So who cares? So I'm like, I should probably sell my van. But that's just money sitting there that's not being used, you know? So like there's all these things where I have to like have that big conversation with myself Meanwhile, like with no trigger, the other band, like we just recorded like a 20 song album and like it's it was this like amazing wild experience. But all of them go into it going, we have jobs. We do this for fun. Who cares? And we kind of have this mentality that we came up with called who cares plus (laughs) where it's like, I don't care. But if something worked out, that's cool. And like I'm trying to steer more in that direction 
and be able to immediately remove myself. Like it's the same with like material possessions. Like I'm a purger. If I could purge these like things in my life that aren't helping me or getting in the way or just, and it's not that I'm like impatient and not giving them time to grow, but they're just burdens. Like they shouldn't be there. Who cares? Get rid of it. So, you know, just by doing that, it's helped so much. And then now I get to focus on like, what do you do? Well, I'm a writer and I'm a musician. So I could finally say like, I play drums, I write music, I write articles and I write comics. That's it. You know? And like, I've been getting into like dipping my toes into like marketing and like these other things. But all of that is just from, I was in a band and I have done this stuff for myself all the time, but now I could do the things I've always done and people will pay me for them. (laughs) And that's like a thing I forgot can happen. Yeah. And I know we've strayed a little from the inevitables, but I think when it comes to being a creative, you have to weigh things a little differently because you might not know where your next paycheck is going to come from. And like you said, some people should probably just go out and have that stable job and that's fine and then do their podcast after work or something. And that's what I started out doing. I was asked to do the podcast when I was working that data entry job. And I didn't leave that job thinking I was going to be able to do podcasting full time by any means. And technically, I'm still not doing it full time. I am working my way up to it and getting there. But that was, you know, five years ago, almost when I left that job. So it's definitely a process if you want to take the chance and do something in a freelance capacity or try and make your own projects work. And like I said, I didn't intend for this to happen. I just kept applying to job after job after job, not hearing back. So I was like, you know what? I have all this time. Let me see if I can figure things out. And sure, it's taken quite a while, (laughs) if you ask me, but sometimes that happens. And, you know, with you, you have the chance with the inevitables to see how excited people are before it comes out. It's not something that you've been working on for months and months and months, and you have no idea with Kickstarter, you get to see, okay, X amount of people backed it, we have X amount of money, and you can keep adding these cool things to it for the next, you know, couple weeks here by the time everyone is listening to this, maybe less than a couple weeks. But I think that's something that's exciting in the creative world right now you finally, you know, the the risk reward factor is removed a bit when you see a number get hit, you know, that also rhymed. So that's like a super important statement. So with that said, and getting back on topic, it, it's nice getting to see like a number and knowing that it was hit and the rest is kind of gravy from there. Uh, but I also imagine how awful it must be seeing a number, not hitting it, not being able to fund the whole thing and then going, Hey everyone, I promoted this thing and I didn't even hit my number. So, uh, I feel like our approach to Kickstarter and my approach to virtually any project I do is, uh, being, uh, what's the word I used to use a constructive pessimist. So I always go into things like I had to do this with shows back in the day when like, you know, the swellers would open for big bands. Then we do our own shows and it was totally different story. So my thing would be like, you know, if we have 10 people and we're in a different state, that's awesome. And then 20 people would show up and I was like, hell yeah, like this was a win, you know, because I would set my expectations realistically and not, you know, fill my head with this just wild 
falsity that, you know, anything can happen. Everything is like, as long as you believe it's fine. I'm like, well, that's not the case because when you're in like a smelly van with your friends and, you know, your band isn't blowing up, like that's what happens. So when it comes to comics and this side of things, I love getting to see that and knowing exactly what's going on, where the money's going, who's supporting, how many people are supporting and all that. Like that to me is amazing because let's say we do this and we don't have a Kickstarter and we're like, hey guys, all of this is out today. That's a totally different situation, Mm -hmm. you know, like because at least with this, you have this like campaign where you're putting money in it along the way. It's like it's a pre-order that has like stakes. And I think that's why it does so well. Yeah, I've done pre-orders before where it's like, hey, guys, a record's coming out. Here's one song. And people are like, who cares? (laughs) Like, and you, you know, you just like run into a brick wall with that kind of stuff. So for me, Kickstarter is just this nice breath of fresh air even though it's been around for a bit but like for someone who's entering that space for the first time like all it made my brain do is like shit i can i could do some other projects on here and see how it goes and also put a lower number on there assuming that we would at least hit that and then go from there so you know like if i was doing like just a single issue comic or something like i could have a totally different price if i want to do a graphic novel I could price that accordingly based on other ones I've seen on there. And, you know, I don't have to hit a hundred thousand dollars to make it happen. But hell, if that happens, that's the coolest thing. Exactly. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about the inevitables before we wrap up here? The the best thing is just, you know, go on Kickstarter, type in the inevitables. Uh, you'll be able to find us on there. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, if you just go to the inevitables dot world, uh, that will have everything for you to access like any social media, any newsletter stuff, all that good stuff. And my favorite part about this, other than getting to like work with a creative dream team and all this stuff like that, this is my first real full length comic and it's actually happening. I've done two other ones, including uh, monster bounty, which we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And you know, those weren't 22 page comics. Like those were, I believe like one was 16 and one was 12 pages or something like that. But getting to work with an artist when you're not, you know, an established writer in comics is pretty hard. And if you don't have the resources, it's super expensive. So getting to have the means and people contributing money to a thing like this absolutely means the world. And it's it's awesome just getting to be a part of it. Yeah, and I will definitely link to all of that stuff in the show notes so it's easy for everyone to find. And I highly recommend backing this if you are into comics or ska music. It doesn't have to be both necessarily, but it looks like a really, really cool, fun project. And I'm very excited to see what the comic looks like when it's finished. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm sure I'll have you back on for more comic book talk in the future. I'll have a few hundred in the works. (laughs) All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.